In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to allow my words to be your words in this moment, and if they are not a good fit, just let, let them wash over you. But I affirm and know in this moment that the truth of my being and your being is that there is one activity. There's one source of all life. And that source becomes more and more present to us and tangible to us through invitation. So I invite and I invoke in this moment that that life, that one life, that divine in infinite creative genius of the universe loving supporting inspiring guiding and directing as I listen deeply that life is my life that life is your life and so when we invite it we are shifted and changed and so I know in this moment that I have longings in my heart that seek fulfillment and as I step in that direction, I know I am supported and guided and resourced in every good way. And that which is within me or within my awareness and consciousness that is restricting the fulfillment of that longing, I also know that whatever I need within me to dissolve, to confront that fear, that limitation, that sense of smallness, whatever it may be, I know that the infinite divine intelligence is, is supporting me in every good way to bring it into my awareness so that I may look at it and dissolve it and continue to affirm and grow and deepen and express and create. For we are here to tell one another the truth. And the truth of our being is that we are the individualized expression of that one life. That one life expresses and experiences life as you and I do. So our joy is its joy. Our celebration is its celebration. Our creativity is its creativity. And it also responds in like measure to that which is less than positive. And so you and I get a chance to each and every day, each and every moment, choose the direction, the trajectory, the feeling tone of this life. And as we expand in that, as we grow in that, and accept that as the truth of our being, amazing things unfold for us. And so standing in the wonder and the awe and, and, and looking at the impossible and claiming it and declaring it possible, I just give thanks this day for life for this journey, for this beautiful teaching, to be, to be, have the luxury and the abundance to be able to spend this time together. What a joy and an opportunity to listen to this beautiful music and these beautiful words and inspired by so many, a consciousness that is calling us forward, that consciousness of love, beauty, possibility. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right, so to build on that right now, one thing I'm gonna invite you to do is find somebody close to you uh, two or three or more, but two, two people preferably. And I'd like you to stand up and find that person that is right and perfect for you and look into their eyes and say, good morning. 
as you look at them, say, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, you are the face of God. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being alive on this planet. You have gifts to share. You have love to share. You have power to reveal. And you have potential to fulfill. Let us transform our lives and make the world a better place. And so it is. Thank you. Awesome. That's called the two or more. Where two or more are in agreement. So when you come to agreement with that, it's a powerful spiritual practice. Simple, easy. Because what we, what we hear, we forget. What we say, we remember. And what, I'm sorry, what we, what we see, we forget. What we hear, we remember. And what we say, we become. And so when we can say that to another person, grounded in the, the truth of our being, there's a power and a potency to it. It's transformative. Alrighty. So... We're talking about freedom by belonging this month. And we looked at stepping into belonging. We had Mother's Day and the beautiful plants that we gathered to celebrate Mother's Day. And then we, and next year, we're, well, anyway, we'll go off on that tangent right now. But it was a beautiful thing, and I've got all kinds of ideas for next year. So I'm planning on being here next Mother's Day as well, as a matter of fact, in case you're wondering. And then we talked last week about what we embody, we become, who we are. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it? We all know that one. And then today is a way of being, a way of being. So you and I get to, to look at what this way of being is. And so I want to talk about three things today in this way of being. One is a willing to expand, a willingness to expand. So it's not about how much you can hold or how much you can invite. It's really about how much, how, how much you can expand, which is a little different. Because we can only hold as much as the, 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 the embodied um, level of being that we are, capacity to receive. But the way that we create greater sp- space for that is by expansion, willingness to expand. Uh, greatness, we're going to talk about greatness, and then the idea from impossible to possible. So I want to share those three ideas with you today. So I'm going to invite my, my volunteers, my force volunteers, to come on back up here. I've got a little visual aid for you. So Kasha and Mitch are coming up, and Kasha just sang that beautiful song along with Mitch playing. But, so bungee cord, visual aid, expansion. So change is the only constant in the world. Have you noticed that? Does anyone here look exactly like you looked when you were born? Anybody? I mean, look down at your lap if you're not convinced of expansion, right? So anyway, I'm going to have Mitch hold that and Kasha hold the other end. So here's this bungee cord that represents how the infinite works. So, so it's kind of puny and small right now, right? Because it's just, that's the length of the bungee, which represents the sort of the, the, uh, the size of consciousness, in a sense, that metaphor. And so as we start to ponder new ideas, as we start to expand into possibility and potential, we get to, it, it gets longer, so, you did such a good job last time. So, all of a sudden, we start to wake up a little bit and we go, wow, something different might be possible. I can make a choice. Kind of stepping into that second kingdom of consciousness where we start to take responsibility. And wow, that's great. You know what? And I've got these ideas and I'm going to follow through on the ideas and, I'm, and there's small practices that allow me to shift everything. And all of a sudden, it starts to get bigger. And so, we latch on another um, bungee of consciousness. Slowly. Slowly is right. I thought I could just throw it on there and it would just jump into place. 
but it takes, it takes awareness. See, to have a functional life, to have a functional life, I've got a secret for you, have a functional life takes work. Anybody ever notice that? As things have to change. So all of a sudden, Kasha's out there now, and all of a sudden we got this great big idea. All of a sudden, the fulfillment of the, the longing of our heart and our soul, and we've done our forgiveness work, and we've done our house cleaning and consciousness, and, and just opening ourselves up to this greater and greater yet to be. Before you know it, here, give that a tug. Give it a nice... But it stretches, and we continue to stretch. But it requires that willingness to stretch. Yeah, don't let go. We need you, we need you later. And then all of a sudden we have these experiences and, and, and we've, we've stretched to a new, a new idea, a new possibility. And as one of the great teachers once said, that once consciousness is stretched to a certain size, it's impossible for it to retreat to what it was. You know, that's the, that's the downside of this stuff, is once you start to wake up, you, you know, it's like I get up some days and go, I wish I could just go back to sleep. But it doesn't work that way, because you know you can't do that. And so this great, this, and so what happens was when fear takes over, come on back in, guys. When fear takes over, we go right back down to this. You hang on to that. You hang on to that. So which, which bungee life would you like to have? The blue or possibilities? And just keep adding links and links and links as practices change and opportunities show up. Thank you very much for everything, for your music today, too. So stretching, expanding a little. In the, in the universe, the only thing the universe can do, the way this thing is, see, it's mathematical. This is physics. This isn't superstition. This isn't, oh, I get lucky, I don't get lucky. This is physics. That if, as we expand into the idea, what must I become? What must I expand into to fulfill what my heart longs to experience? What must I expand? What is the idea? What must, and what must I put down? The old stories, the old stuff, the old behaviors, the old beliefs. Put down my addiction to form. It's got to look this way. You know? I'm putting my addiction to form down. It's like, this is the only way to do church. We show up on a Sunday. We preach. We sing. We do some music. And then we pass the basket. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely form. I love it. But is this the only form? Many ways to get our message out in the world to make a difference. And so, but the point is, is that, and, and I'm aware of that, I celebrate, I love, love, love this, this opportunity, but it doesn't have to just be this, it can be so much more. Because the world longs for, honest to God, the world longs for this. I mean, I love Steve Jobs. I love Steve Jobs because they used to say to him, well, we don't know what people want that, and he used to say, people don't know what they want. I mean, and he wasn't being arrogant, he just said people don't know what they want. And it's true, so many people don't know what they want. And as soon as you get clear about what is your longing for, what's the next step for me? You don't want to fix it all at once. We don't go from little bungee, you don't go from little bungee, blue bungee, all the way out to where the Kasha and Mitch were overnight. But what is the next step to grow into that? Can I put down these, these thoughts that I'm harboring that keep me from expanding, that keep me small? Just a thought. And, and, it, and so it's, and, and that's huge. It is huge, huge, huge when we can do that. So the willing to expand, willing to expand. So this next slide here is a picture of Niagara Falls. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, me too. And if you notice, if you stand by the edge, I don't know, maybe not true for you, but for me, it's like, it almost pulls you in. There's such power. It's like, wow. You can understand why people let, want to go over it in a barrel, right? <laughs> Leslie? No? Unless he says no. Well, he's traveled the world. Okay. I'm going to trust you on that. 
but I'll, buy, I'll supply the barrel if you want to go. But anyway, but, but the, the great thing about it, and it's beautiful, it's beautiful, especially on the Canadian side. I mean, it's like nice. You go to the U.S. side, it's like, what? We took the train up there. Laura and I took the train up there. We got, got dumped off on the U.S. side in a gravel parking lot with one single light. Like, this is it? Welcome to Niagara Falls. Old cabs will be by before you know it. So an hour and a half later, standing there, a cab came by. It was great. <laughs> Took us to the Canadian side. But so with Niagara Falls, you know, we, we stand there with our little tin cup or porcelain cup like I have here, and we're going to just fill it up. And some people even show up with a thimble. Yeah, I'm going to go fill up my thimble with the Niagara. And Niagara Falls is just like this force. This law that we're talking about is huge. It's vast. It is endless. We are the ones that turn that spigot on and off energetically in relationship to it. And so mastering that and moving in that and expanding in that, uh, that invitation, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Zig, Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you remember Zig. He's not around anymore, but Zig was a Baptist minister. Did you know that about Zig? He was. And I know Leslie has seen him in person because she told me. Even though you wouldn't take the barrel ride, you saw Zig, right? Okay. Zig said you were born to win. You and I were born to win. See, and I think many people, oh, I don't, oh, I don't want. Winning means somebody loses. No, 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 not that winning. To, to live the fullness of your life, to fulfill your soul's purpose. But to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. I, what, what level of expectancy are you in? Yeah, I'm moving my way through this. I'm moving in that direction but I fully expect to fulfill my, my longing, my ideal, to move in that direction. We are born. We were born to win. See, the universe, just like these bungee cords, moves when you and I move, when we step in the direction of our dreams. It starts to conspire and move, and we're in a time-space continuum where things have to kind of play themselves out. You know, many times when, you know, I've, I've seen the experience where <clears throat> you're ready to have something happen, Many times I've seen people want to buy a house or they're, they're selling a home and their house isn't selling and it's like, why is my house not selling? Why is my... and, and it's very interesting because many times it's because the house that they're, they're called to move into isn't available yet. So it's like living with wisdom. You know, I mean, we want it and we want it now, but sometimes it's like, wait, the, th the, right, the right opportunities aren't set up yet. And so spirit's delay is not spirit's denial. It's just aligning itself up and understanding that. So it's a basic principle of life that we're talking about. We are here to expand. We're here to bring this teaching to the world. We're here to bring this teaching to ourselves, to our families, to, to the city of Edmonton, to the world. Because the majority of the world believes in fear and competition and struggle. Superstition. And when you can stand in that with everybody and they're running around like the sky is falling, then people have been predicting the end since 2500 B.C., this is the end. We'll have somebody else predicting the end here again pretty soon. And, and that's okay because it gives them something to do. It occupies them. We want to support them in that. We just don't have to agree with it. We are here to tell the truth to one another. That there, there is no limitation. And when we remove fear and we minimize fear and limitation and self-loathing and blame, we get joy. We get freedom. When I was a little kid, I was telling uh, Mitch and uh, Kasia and... Uh, Andrea and uh, Andreas and um, Jason are musicians. Um, that when they did Let It Be, the story behind that 
is that Paul McCartney had a dream one night. Because a lot of things were going on with the Beatles, and they didn't know which way they were going to go. There was a lot of turmoil, a lot of pieces moving, and, and Paul was trying to figure it all out, and his mother appeared to him in a dream. And his mother said, Paul, let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be. And that's what inspired that song. Isn't that beautiful? Last night I, was, I went to sleep and I had this dream about I was back in, in uh, I think it was grade three in, in uh, grade school. Bless you. I was back in grade school. And uh, it was a true story, but I had, to, I had the true story in my dream again. And I, I thought it was inter- fascinating because I was talking about this stuff. But it's how, how things that happen to us can shrink us. And so I was in grade three and I had, the way it was set up is my mother would, would carpool us all to the Catholic school, which was about half hour away from home. And so in the summertime, my buddies were the, the local guys. And then at school, I had the other group. So I had these two camps of people. And I always was trying to fit in and belong. And it was like, ah, you know. And we didn't, nobody, the word play date never, didn't exist in 1957, okay. But I'm, I, you're back and forth. And it was no consideration for, you know, loyalties and who you're connected to. But anyway, so there was a group at the school I went to. And they were planning a fishing trip. And, you know, you're on the playground every day for, every day for, thousands and thousands of conversations and they're going on a fishing trip and I thought hey this is great I'm going on a fishing trip with you I'm going to insert myself into your fishing trip I don't because I don't think I said can I go I just said hey I'll go with you you know I'm seven years old what do I know and so we're talking and I'm planning and in my head I got this whole thing going where I'm going on the fishing trip with my buddies at school and I'm looking for a fishing pole, and I'm looking for a sleeping bag, and I'm, you know, talking to my mom, trying to get permission, and, you know, I got everybody agreed, and I'm, I'm good to go, and then we had this long weekend, and I went back to school next week, and all those guys who were planning the fishing trip were talking about the fishing trip they went on, and I was like, holy cow, you guys went on that fishing trip that I was supposed to go on with you. And, you know, I have to tell you that when you're seven or eight, that really informs you. You know, that they, they really weren't telling me the truth. And, you know, we're all so unsophisticated. They were doing the best they knew how. I mean, no one said, well, let me tell you, you know, I don't think you can go on the trip with us because uh, there's not enough room for you. I mean, you know, you just, you, know, you go on and on these fantasies. But, but, you know, I think that an experience like that when you're little, it's... it's um, it really informs you, and you start to believe that because, for some reason, um, that wasn't available to you. Because it, you're not good enough, they don't want to hang out with you, they're not really your friend, all the stuff that goes on and on and on. You write a novel about this stuff, when in fact it was just kids, me being excited, they were being excited, promises were made that no one could fulfill because we weren't in the position. But I just, I thought about, I had this vivid dream of that, and I thought, Wow. You know, because I'm always asking her, what's the next layer of forgiveness? And I thought, man, that goes a long way back, really? But it was as clear as a bell. And I thought about that in terms of expansion. So that's not a story that expands me. You know, I had to grow up and realize everybody was doing the best they knew how. And that's, what the, that's true in so many cases for parents and grandparents and teachers. You know, if people knew better, they'd do better. So expansion and when we move, the universe matches it. So when the bungees go out, the universe says yes to that too. Because that's all it can do. It's a law. It's physics. Why do we argue with physics? I don't know. But we can. We can. So I want to, now I want to move to greatness. I've got this wonderful video that Nike put together for us, just for us today, uh, that talks about greatness. Because moving into greatness is so important. 
I mean, we're gonna, we, we're gonna think something and we're gonna move in a direction. Why not move in the direction of greatness? And I think this video uh, explains it beautifully. So we'll cue it up. Greatness, it's just something we made up. Somehow we've come to believe that greatness is a gift reserved for a chosen few, for prodigies, for superstars. And the rest of us can only stand by watching. You can forget that. Greatness is not some rare DNA strand. It's not some precious thing. Greatness is no more unique to us than breathing. We're all capable of it. All of us. Some people are told they were born with greatness. Some people tell themselves. If greatness doesn't come knocking at your door, maybe you should go knock on its door. Sometimes greatness is about overcoming insurmountable adversity. Sometimes it's just fun. Greatness isn't always measured in tenths of a point. It's a bit bigger than that. Sometimes greatness is something you plan. But most of the time, it's just something you try. It's easy to think greatness is only something you see on TV. Unless, of course, greatness is watching TV. Greatness is a scary thing. Until it isn't. If we think greatness is supposed to look a certain way, act a certain way, and play a certain way, we certainly need to rethink some things. Is it speed or endurance? Does it happen in two hours or four or six? Is it finishing strong or barely finishing? Yes. Is greatness worth fighting for? What do you think? If we face our fears, it means we're pointed in the right direction. Even if that direction is upside down. It's not the biggest stadium in the world. 
not the biggest players either. But the pursuit of greatness is kind of big enough, isn't it? You don't need an official court, an official net, or official uniforms to be officially great. Greatness speaks for itself. Once it learns to talk. Greatness needs a lot of things. But it doesn't need an audience. Some measure greatness in precious metals, like iron. Greatness is not born. It's made. If you'd like to tell the guy with the sword he's not great, because he's not famous. Be my guest. There are no grand celebrations here. No speeches, no bright lights. But there are great athletes. Somehow we've come to believe that greatness is reserved for the chosen few for the superstar. The truth is, greatness is for all of us. This is not about lowering expectations. It's about raising them for every last one of us. Because greatness is not in one special place. And it is not in one special person. Greatness is wherever somebody is trying to find it. Yeah, isn't that great? And nice of Nike to do that for us, just for us. I didn't know they were so generous. But greatness is for all of us. And it's a choice to get up in the morning and simply say, I'm moving in the direction of greatness today uniquely what's mine, and it doesn't require an audience, it doesn't require a, a scholarship, it doesn't require to be famous. What can you do today when you walk out those doors that, that reinforces within you greatness? And perhaps it's, it's opinions that you've had of yourself or others where you shift that internally and the feeling tone around it to realize, okay, I've learned enough from that. I've learned enough from condemning myself or condemning others or judging others or, or my addiction to form, it's gotta look a certain way. You know, we, we, it's just a very interesting thing in terms of, and, and the opportunity and the developmental level that we are all at. It's perfect. We're right where we need to be. We're right where we need to be. When we make peace with that, we can raise our hands and say, hallelujah. I'm right where I need to be, and now I get to step in another direction. I talked to Mitch, and it's been a long time since I've been able, able to, to work with my guitar and, and sing a bit. And it's just been because of logistics to have the space and time and... and uh, energy for that. And 
It's been years. And, and also the resources that were helping support that weren't here for a long time. Old Brian McLeod was here for years and Brian would, uh, would coach me and, and uh, teach me. But the point is, is that um, I told Mitch, we started working again again and I picked up the guitar and I said, wow, I, haven't, I, I remember all this stuff. So it's very lovely to, to, be, to be able to do that, but I had to go pick the thing up. You know, I had, I had all kinds of great ideas in my head. It was wonderful. You should have heard me in my head singing and playing. It was fantastic. It doesn't mean anything. But you have to, you know, it's that legwork as well. So greatness. What's possible? What's possible with greatness? Eric Butterworth said this. He said, you will be amazed... You will be amazed at the wonderful things that begin to unfold for you as you develop a more positive image of yourself, as you recenter your faith in the all-powerful center of the divine. See, he's coming home to the truth of what we teach, the perennial truth. God's life is my life. And, and God is not man. I, you know, I did a memorial the other day, and, and they, they called me, and I didn't know the people, but they wanted somebody. They said, we want he wasn't very religious. We, want, we, don't, we don't want anybody that's religious or spiritual. So we called you. I thought, oh, thank you. That's so sweet. I'm flattered. Thank you. And, and I slipped up because she said, I don't want to hear God in this ceremony at all. There are like 500 people there. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> Is it okay if I use the S word? But I did say Father, Mother, God at the end, and I thought, oh, boy. So, and she hasn't mailed me my check yet, so I'm wondering if that might have been the deal breaker. I tried my best. William Blake said this, if a door of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to us, to man, as, as it truly is. As it truly is. If we had that capacity to see and, and to build that capacity, a, a way of seeing things and, and being. So it truly is a way of being. So I want to talk to you now, the, the last piece is to, making the impossible possible. And this is a story of a, a guy, I'm not going to read it all to you because I know it well enough, but a guy was in a, a human potential training called LifeSpring. And I actually did LifeSpring years ago, probably 20 years ago now. And it's very much from the same guys that created EST and uh, um, you know, all the human potential movement. Wonderful stuff. It's a wonderful thing. It was a wonderful program. And he talks about he was in a training program. He was going through a three-month training program called the Leadership Program at that time. And, and once again, talking about making the impossible possible. He said, my epiphany began at one of our weekly meetings when the individuals running the program came to us with a challenge. They said they want us to feed breakfast to 1,000 homeless people in downtown Los Angeles. So that sounds like a big task. Furthermore, they, were also gonna, they asked us to acquire clothing that they were going to give away, we were going to give away. And the most important thing was that no one could spend a dime of their own money to do this. Now, since none of us were in the, the catering business or had ever come close to doing anything like this, my first reaction was, geez, this is going to be really a stretch to pull off. However, then they added, by the way, I want you guys to do all this on Saturday morning. They were telling, this, they were telling us this on Thursday night. So I quickly upgraded my prognosis to impossible. I don't think I was alone. Looking around the room, I saw 50 faces that were bleaker and blanker than a, a freshly washed chalkboard. The fact was, none of us had a single clue as to, what to how to even begin to pull something like this off. It was at this point that something amazing happened. Since none of, the, the, of us wanted to admit that we couldn't handle this, their challenge, we all said with perfectly straight faces, 
okay, yeah, sure, we, yeah, we can do that, no problem. Then one person said, okay, we need to break up into teams. We need one team to get the food, another to work on getting equipment to cook it with, and then someone else I ha- said, I have a truck. We could use that to pick up equipment. Great, we all chipped in. And then someone else piped up, we need a team to be in charge of getting the entertainment and the donated clothes together. And before I knew it, I was in charge of the communications team. <clears throat> By 2 a.m., we had made a list of every task we could think of that needed to be done, delegated it to the appropriate team, and then headed off for home to try and get some sleep. I remember thinking as I laid my head down on my pillow, my God, I have no idea how we're going to do this. Not even a clue, but we're going to give it our best shot. At 6 a.m., my alarm went off. And a few minutes later, my two teammates showed up. The three of us, along with the rest of the team, had exactly 24 hours to see if we could feed the 1,000 homeless people and turn it into a reality. We pulled out the phone book and began calling everybody on our list who we thought could help. My first call was to Vaughn's corporate headquarters, which is like Safeway. After explaining what we were doing, I was told that we would have to submit our request for food in writing and that it would take two weeks for it to be processed. I patiently explained that we didn't have two weeks and that we needed the food that same day, probably before nightfall. The regional manager said she would get back to me in an hour. I called Western Bagel, pleaded my case, and to my delight, the owner said, okay. Suddenly, we had ourselves 1,200 bagels. Next, while I was on the phone with Zaki Farms trying to get some chicken and some eggs, my call waiting went off, and it was one of the guys calling to say that he had stopped by Hansen's Juices, and they had a truck full of freshly squeezed carrot, watermelon, and other assorted juices that they would be willing to donate. A definite home run that brought up high fives all around. The Vaughn's regional manager called back and said she had procured all kinds of food for us, including 600 loaves of bread. Ten minutes later, someone else called to tell me they had arranged for 500 burritos to be donated. In fact, it seemed like every 10 minutes, someone for the team was calling up, telling me that we got someone to donate X amount of something. Wow, I thought. Could we really be pulling it off? Finally, at midnight, after 18 straight hours of work, I found myself at Winchell's Donut picking up 800 donuts and carefully packing them in the one side of my hatchback. So I had room for the 1,200 bagels that I was picking up at 5 a.m. After a few hours of much-needed rest, I hopped into my car, whipped by a Western bagel, and picked up the bagels. My car now smelled like a bakery and headed for downtown Los Angeles. It was Saturday morning and I was pumped up. As I pulled into the parking lot around 5.45 a.m., I could see team members setting up large industrial barbecues, inflated helium balloons, and positioning porta-potties. We thought of everything. I quickly hopped out of my car and began unloading the bags of bagels and boxes of donuts. By 7 a.m., a line had started to form outside the parking lot gates. As word spread throughout the poverty-stricken neighborhood about our hot breakfast program, the line began to grow until it extended down the street and around an entire city block. By 7.45, men, women, and even small children were beginning to come through the food lines. Their plates were piled high with hot barbecued chicken, scrambled eggs, burritos, bagels, donuts, and many other goodies. Behind them were the many neatly folded piles of clothing that by day's end would be snapped up. As the loudspeaker from the DJ booth blasted out the stirring words of We Are the World, I looked over the sea of contented faces of all colors and ages, happily devouring their plates of food. And by the time we ran out of food at 11 a.m., we had fed a total of 1,140 homeless people. Afterwards, my teammates and the homeless people were were dancing to the music in a joyous celebration that just seemed to happen naturally. During the dancing, two homeless men came up to me and said the breakfast was the nicest thing anyone had ever done for them, and that it was the first time they'd ever attended a meal program where a fight had not broken out. (laughs) 
As he squeezed my hand, I felt a lump in my throat. We had done it. We had fed over 1,000 homeless people in less than 48 hours' notice. It was a personal experience that made a deep impression on me. And now when people tell me that they would like to do something, but I think it would be impossible, I think to myself, yeah, I know what you mean. I used to think that way myself. Isn't that a great story? No? We're here to turn the possible, impossible into possibility in our own lives. Where can we do that in our lives? And then, and then that becomes, as we expand into that, as we have one success with that, we grow into that. It becomes an embodied, it becomes a way of being, it becomes a way of life. And we start small. We don't have to start big. We don't have to start. We just have to start shifting and changing because once you say to yourself, to this infinite divine presence that is always responding, just like the, bumby, the bungee to stretch, once we are saying, I'm ready to step into greatness, I'm ready to put down these limiting ways of thinking and being and acting for something for the greater yet to be. And then pay attention to see what opportunities open up for us. It's a beautiful thing. We're not alone in it. We're always, we're always participating in this. The, the universe will stretch into whatever we are. It's the only thing it can do. I read a beautiful article this, in the wee hours this morning. I was up around four. And... Uh, It was an article about the words that Jesus spoke. And heaven, in the Aramaic, heaven was interpreted as as what we think of as heaven. But heaven really, uh, in Aramaic, which is the language of Jesus at the time that he spoke, really means universe. So many of those those key phrases have been twisted and and changed. And it's fascinating. There's a whole talk there because there's a whole bunch of them that, as I was reading the article, but it's the universe. This is infinite divine intelligence. It's not a physical location. So Mitch is up there. We're going to play a song for you right now to sort of ground this in our awareness. Where you and I started was not where you and I are now. Take another step in the direction that we're called. The universe will match me. It'll match you and I. It'll match me in fear. It'll match me in poverty. Or it'll match me in greatness. I have a wonderful quote from Ernest Holmes I want to share with you. Dr. Holmes said, to refuse to give is to refuse to live to the fullest extent. To refuse to give love is to refuse to receive love. And that which we refuse to give out not only closes the door on giving, but on receiving as well. That is a law of physics. It's around the emotional, it's around the financial, it's around the service that we provide. So I have a song that I'm going to invite Katie to come on up and, and play, and Mitch is going to play, and it's a song that I, I, I sang a couple weeks ago without instrumentation called uh, Loving Spirit Dwells in Me, and we're going to go through it a couple times, and we're going to invite everybody to sing it with us. The words will be on the screen, but I think it's a beautiful way to ground this idea of oneness and of our divinity. Loving spirit dwells in me, this is my divinity, as within, so without, all I need is here and now, where there's ever let me love. All the glory 
I surrender, let it be. Loving spirit dwells in me, now and ever more. Loving spirit dwells in me, this is my Sing it together, come on. Loving spirit dwells in me. This is my divinity. As within, so without. All I need is here and now. Where there's error, let me love.